So a few uh, questions. Some are a little bit speculative, in my opinion. Just some points on Qigong practice. Someone comments that experiencing the breath pressing on the spine as the spheric energy gently tilting the lumbar sacral region backwards, the in breath and forwards on the out breath. Is this what you mean? Yeah. So, this is the part of the body where the, you know, see if you go up your body, you've got these ribs, so they tend to block, or the muscles in the back and the ribs tend to check that movement. So, but in the soft area, this is where the front and the back the body can blend, you see, so really there's, there's no separation between the front and the back because there's no bones there, no hard structures, so back muscles, but you have abdominal muscles. I see people tend to uh, always see the front of the body and not notice the back and the back, or even recognize the back and the front are connected. <laughs> it's all front. Yeah, and so, you know, we can focus on the front of the body, maybe with some effort we can focus on the back, on the shoulders, but the fact the two are, the, are really the same thing, you know. It's a body which has got a front surface and the back surface, there's no real separation between the two. Is there because there's all this, you know, they're, they're, connect, they're part of the same thing. They're just two surfaces of the same um, material phenomenon. But in the breath region, the abdominal region, you get a chance to experience that because the breath swells. It swells, it all is spherical, so it also pushes slightly down to the base of the body but not as strong as it as it pushing up. Mm. This helps perhaps to you know, keep the back awake. As you get breath as a gentle massaging effect. Mm. The back gets very stiff. Um, rigid, and a lot, lot goes up and on up in the upper back and the shoulders. They get quite tense and stiff and rigid. So you readjust by coming to your lumbar region more, more commonly, more usefully. Adjust everything from there. That's more flexible. 
helps the spine to be more flexible and that helps the upper back too. So if you're sitting a long time, it's quite important to um, to recognize this because if you sit in a stiff position for a long time, you're going to feel stiff. <laughs> it swells, swelling. It helps you to re, you know, reframe what breathing is. We tend to think it up and down. Right? doesn't really, you know, suppose it swells, doesn't really go up and down. But we, we interpret it that way, the movement of the muscles. Diaphragm does move up and down. Chest expands all, in all directions. Yeah. So it's not a simple up-down movement at all, it's largely spherical, diaphragm muscle goes up and down, but the diaphragm also connects to the back, it's a, it's going to look like it's a sheet, the front of the diaphragm is up here, but it goes round diagonally, it connects to the, to the lower spine, it's got some, it's a sheet that's kind of that angle in your body. So we want to ideally get that to be as light as possible because that's that's the area that tightens up with force, stress, pressure, becomes pushes, it overactivates so you get a breath is predominantly up in your chest and it's going to it's going fast and that's the when the diaphragm is over energized, which it, it it's associated with sort of scramble or panic. Yeah. Often in the when you get the triggering of fear, it starts to do that. So if there's a lot of that triggering fear, anxiety, sense of something you've got to sort out, the unresolved, something's hovering that you've got to work on, so there's a certain anxious state along with a sense of time got to get there on time and so forth this is a a steady fear signal anxiety signal insecurity signal so that that triggers this so the diaphragm remains on alert all the time and this tends to tighten up your back because the diaphragm is connected to the back Tighten your back up, and you get, you and you get a lot of pain in your back. And it can be the case if that goes on for years, it's like the body almost establishes that particular state of tension and pressure to be normal. So, so we don't really realise that the, the so-called norm should be rather more fluid because the body's got used to this stressed state. So anything you can do to you know, remind it always can be for your benefit and welfare. And to do exercises to help to to bring that around.
everything is connected to everything else. So if you've got, often you've got pain in your upper back, the answer is not going to be in your upper back, it'll be in your lower back. Yeah. So you've got to keep your focus quite wide. Yeah. So, because the pain, tension transfers, tense area transfers the tension to another area. through the muscles, long muscles of the back. Back has long muscles in it, so if you tense up the lower end of the muscle, the tension goes up to the upper back. Because they're connected. And sometimes that tension pulls pulls the ribs down or contracts the, the area between the ribs and the pelvis, it pulls it up, affects your legs. Yeah. Even your feet. So I remember some while ago I had a, a difficult thing in my foot. I went to these various people doing foot massages, x ray on the foot. And, you know, it just really hurt. And so they went to a, someone who reads bodies with his hands, he can got a very sensitive awareness of bodies. He can read them with his hands. He looked to that, walk up and down a bit, sit there and touch the foot. Nothing wrong with your foot. <laughs> so so look. he put his hand on the on the head. Oh. Okay, oh yeah, I see. Right, because he could read through his hands his energies. Oh, there it is, yes. Oh, no. Uh, and then he put his hands in the back here, and that uh, didn't seem to do anything apart from talk to it. Oh well, okay, right, yes, oh yes, I think it's okay. Now that's it. <laughs> and I got up and walked. It's gone. You see, what's happening is that you know you got the ribs there. The pelvis here and the muscles between the two had contracted, so that was pulling pelvis up, and the pressure pull of that went down into the foot. The foot was slightly lifted, but of course, the weight of the body coming down, but the foot was actually slightly pulled up through the leg, and so you got this uh, pain in the foot. So, everything's connected to everything else. And you can't always you can you get the pain there. You think oh, there's something wrong there. Uh, that's it's transferred. So it's it's often the case that uh, unless you've you know cut it or something, that pain caused by tension is not relieved through going to the area that's tense. You go to an area, you sort of track down. What does it connect to? Yeah, yeah. And trail down, trail around, extend, widen. There's anywhere where you feel something seems to be um, imbalanced or not fluid, not flowing. Could be your belly. Move your hips, change posture. Sometimes it's associated with a mental attitude even because these mental signals, these emotional signals do signal in the body response, fear signal. Um, um, so you notice in a fear signal of the body 
like that. So the fear signal could be triggered very depending on what your conditioning is. Uh, anything strange, new, or you can feel a sense of alarm. You know, something has to be done, you get that triggering. Got to get there on time, you get the triggering. Got to hurry up, meditate, you get the triggering. <laughs> Try and relax, you get the triggering. <laughs> and the whole system is. <laughs> so, it's, uh, so it's holistic, it's both, you've got to approach it from the mental attitude, uh, and then your mind becomes a little more soft and. Of course, it's not. Doesn't it's difficult to get it when you're feeling tense. But I saw that just that loving acceptance and compassion, wide and soften the attitudes, and explore the connections in the body, uh, whether like you're feeling pulses. Sometimes you know, you know it's all. Suddenly it shifts, things can shift. And if you get a, a feeling for how, you know, the, the inclusiveness of breathing, you know, affects the belly, the back, swells down through the base of the body, even runs down the legs, and comes up into the throat, can move around the head. So there are many, many, like a filigree, of channels and energies that move around, and any one that gets blocked or tightened up can affect another another part. It can seem quite complex, but actually, um, the more you you kind of get aware of the whole thing, you begin to sense your forehead is tight here, You're trying too hard, and that's causing tension here. So, you know, I try harder and harder to, to, to breathe and relax. It's tightening up. <laughs> There's a question, something about... Uh, having the eyes open or not and uh, by and large in Qigong the eyes are open you know, either you know they're, they're normally open you know even even they're just sort of slightly open but they're kept open so because this allows your yeah, awareness to widen you know, rather than become too internalized so you want to be aware of the feeling of space so the eyes can give you the feeling of space so in terms of uh, what I call signaling so just bear this in mind perceptual signals this is where our bodily reactions come from perceptual signals so somebody drops something and you jump well, what's that about? you know somebody drops something over there you jump. Doesn't make sense, does it really? Except that the signal crash sends an alarm, so the body jumps, tenses up. It's a perceptual signal. Now if we have a, so I'm using that sign of say a sense of looking over the ocean because the perceptual signal is wide, spacious, 
no particular detail to focus on, very easy, natural, and that perceptual signal can carry uh, something helpful into one's body, you know, into, into the face. You know, because these face takes a lot of signaling, so it can carry something into the face. Imagine the, the ocean's looking at you, you know. You're very receptive to it. And that, you know, just that, even that change of attitude, rather than always peering forward, you know, looking into things, just you know, stepping back, opening up, letting, you know, so that very comfortable sense of space without even, you know, staring into it, just letting the space rest on your eyes as an effect, because of course the nerves in the eyes go into the brain and signal trigger effects in the body. So, you know, if you're somewhere where there's a lot of movement going on, it's going to be different energy, different effects. Of course, you can develop skill whereby if there is a lot of movement, you can kind of look through it. Don't give it any attention. Just try to look beyond that. So you look for using the senses to uh, derive helpful perceptual signals. The eye and the ear and the touch are the three predominant triggers. So again, the sense of touch itself is, can be extremely helpful. You know, you're resting your hands here. Light touch is very, the body experiences that as comforting and grounding and, and secure. So, you light touch. I mean, so your hands are always kind of half softened. Resting your hands on your legs creating particular mudras with your fingers. Sense of touch is, is a valuable um, sense because it, it gives signals that are pre, pre-verbal. You know, touch is something we've had before we had sight and certainly before we had thought. We, we were touching, we were touched in tactile state so if that's comfortable and warm and agreeable, that's a lovely thing to rest in. And keep your hands, ideally, that's why we try to come up to the skin, near to the skin. Yeah. Feel the warmth or the coolness or the space around your body. And even physically, just gently rest your hands on your legs or your abdomen. Um, yeah. So you get some the benefit of that. How useful in cultivating practice is metta bhavana? How often should it be practiced on its own or should it be part of larger practice? 
can it lead to the jhanas or samadhi? You know, one can kind of divide mental cultivation in a number of ways, but uh, all the ways if we divide it, then we divide it. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, uh, certainly sometimes the meta quality should be there as a general standard of, of, uh, of, uh, of me- mental tone mental tone, right? So it's not a particularly strong, you know, thinking of someone and sending out metta, but just a general tone of friend. What the word friend, friend, does to you. Good friend, reliable, uh, sympathetic, happy to help, eager to help. And that tone is the mental tone um, that is the most supportive for one's practice. Now, you know, so try to, you know, really see all these things as part of the whole th- picture and, and be careful about trying to, just, oh, that's what I do, 20 minutes of metta and then, you know, 45 minutes of Anapanasati and then half an hour of vipassana. Yeah. It's uh it's so uh, it's kind of like a bit artificial really. You know, as if we're doing it all the time. It's a bit lightly artificial. Uh, but you know, it can be the case that particularly if one is experiencing the waves or the effects of ill will which can be um obviously very strong, which is one has aversion, or one is averse to oneself, or one imagines other people are averse to you. Or one's averse to what I was in the past, which we call regret or guilt. One's averse to how we will be in the future, which we call depression. Uh, one's averse to how one is in the, in the, in the present, which, you know, that covers everything, really. Uh, and then we, you know, pick up perceptions and so forth that, that help, that support that. Um, so, you know, the general atmosphere of, of being friend, with a friend, in friendship, is important. And then, you know, it can be that you get particular, very strong impressions of direct, you know, hatred. Then you... You realise what this is doing to you, even if you you can justify it. Some people are, actions are not agreeable, not pleasant, not suitable, not respectful. So you feel that surging up, and we use that to really uh, establish strength. You know, so the, the arising of of, of Resistance to uh, offensive experiences. That's okay. One should repel them. <laughs> yeah. But there's a way of repelling which is just about 
standing your ground and saying no. So it's not necessarily hating, just being firm. And then you realize, you know, when somebody's abusing you or disrespectful to you, then your atmosphere of, of good, your friendliness is being taken away. Right? So if we, you know, the, we, if we are feeling the norm, you know, the theoretical norm anyway, there's a sense of, you know, I'm okay, you know, that's the norm state. We're quite friendly with ourselves, we're agreeable with, our, with ourselves. You know. uh, and then, so the, the, the people being difficult or offensive is removing that atmosphere, it's saturating with something else, mistrust, nervousness, you feel apprehensive, you don't know where you're up or down, you feel disoriented, and so the atmosphere has changed. Now you would say, no, that's, that's important. Well, I don't hate you particularly, I don't, why, why should I bother hating you? Uh, but I, you know, don't let, not letting the atmosphere of ill will be taken, of good will be taken away, so keep that for yourself. <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, so to repel force of ill will is not, is necessary. But we don't repel it by taking it on. You know, fighting, you know, using ill will to counteract it. We, we repel it by a sense of, this is my ground, I'm looking after my heart, may I be well. You know, I mean, these are artificial statements, but things of this nature. So where the perceptions arise of the past that take away your, your, your goodwill or of events in the past or events... You imagine in the future, making you nervous and frightened, then those perceptions are to be said no to. Just, you know. Because the citta only experiences perceptions and feeling. It doesn't, it doesn't experience people. It experiences perceptions and feeling. And naturally, people trigger those perceptions and feeling, or events trigger those perceptions and feeling. Hmm? Remember, the citta only experiences perceptions, that's impressions, and feeling, quality of agreeable and disagreeable. It doesn't experience people or things, it only experiences that impression. And, uh, yeah, so you need to try to contemplate this you know, you know, bear this in mind because nobody gets under your skin just the perception of people gets under your skin The two, there is a separation, distinction because the perception is something that our own mind has a part in sustaining We remember, we note, we take it in, the ill will. It polarizes us, it causes us to, you know, to believe in it, to act upon it, to feel threatened by it. And if we, then we, we, we lose our, our goodwill, we lose our friendliness, we lose our gravity, we lose our balance.
So it's of course, you know, the overall, the more you constantly generate this quality of groundedness and friendliness as a norm, the more you just keep working on it. Notice when it's present, notice when it's absent, what helps you to, to, to refresh that. Certainly then metabhavana, you know, can be helpful in, you know, helping to strengthen, upgrade and refresh that. And then metabhavana, perhaps the most important um, place to begin is as if you are actually being given it. So as if your quality of loving kindness is directed towards your own heart, your own body, your own face, your skin, whatever. You know, it's being seen in a kindly, sympathetic way, you know. Uh, and so it can be helpful, Metabhavana, just, you know, a kind of low-grade recollection if you think of the day and recollect, you know, the senses that there were several acts of gen- of dana, food was offered today, people were very fully not doing because they had to, not doing it, and it's kind of slapping a plate down the table, get on with it, but actually graciously offering the general mood of you wanting, really wishing to make offerings, and you know, not because you personally or anybody, but in just that sense of we're in a mood of of richness and fullness and giving. You bear that in mind. That happened today. Hmm, how's that? Well, so is it like when there is this quality of? people are courteous or cooperative, notice, make a point of noticing several times, you know, notice the incidents in the day that, that trigger that and linger on it. So don't just think, oh, he's a good guy, that's nice, but just, no, 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 don't, don't shut it off like that. Take the impression of someone treating you with respect or courtesy or generosity or sympathy or shared. Get the feeling for that and Stay with it, linger in it, take it in, you know, return that, that you know, to, to, the, to the proper human and keep that there. You can build it up like that. Or you can imagine, so you bring to mind people who have been, uh, you feel respect or gratitude towards and take that in, linger in it, you know. Let it, let it, till you can feel it in your in your body. Your heart opens. You feel a certain energy run probably from your heart, chest area, face, skin relaxes, face lightens up. Everybody likes to be loved, and this is very safe. It's not a love that's trying to manipulate or get anything back. It's just a free offering. So, anything that reminds you brings that to mind. Stay with it linger in it, dwell in it, take it in. Don't feel you've got to pay for it. <laughs> you Because know? then that, that, that damages it. You know, you just take it in. Uh, don't, don't impair it with the idea that, you know, you owe something or you should do something back. Or, uh, that's worry, that's doubt. You know? Take it in and for sure, you're going to find occasions when you can express that. Same thing, you just give it out. You don't want anything back, you just because it's nice, it feels good. To love other people is good. To be loved is good.
Yeah, and this is a quality of metta. So you can bring to mind, you know, those you feel grateful to or you're kindly disposed to, admire, respect, um, care for, or you see as people you want to look after, you know, or people you admire, so different gradations of it. Benefactors, um, people who look to you for support and you want to offer that, or people who've given you support and you feel gratitude. So these, it's turning these perceptions, memories over, these attitudes over, and distilling this texture, this quality of heart, this, this particular chetana, volitional quality of heart. This is skillful citta sankara. Mm-hmm. Skillful mental or citta activation, activated in line with metta karuna, means the willingness to be sympathetic to to suffering. See, you see a dog injured and something in you wants to help it, whether you can or not. You see somebody sick, something you oh, how can I make it easier for them? That's quite a natural response, isn't it? Yeah. And then also just recognize, you know, your own wounds and damage and, you know, toxins. Here's somebody sick living right here. <laughs> <laughs> an attitude or compassionate mudita, the quality of uh, uh, it's like enjoying enjoying uh, enjoying uh, goodness and sometimes we, we lose touch with the enjoyment experience because it doesn't go anywhere, it doesn't do anything it doesn't, you know it's not about making something change. It's just celebrating and enjoying it. And it kind of like, you know, what's, what, what's, the, what's the purpose? What's the point? The point is to be experiencing enjoyment and enjoying the good in yourself and others. So, you know, enjoying the good in oneself is not just a kind of ego trip, but gratitude or... Oh, how wonderful the quality of clarity has arisen for me. Oh, I'm grateful. How wonderful. Rather than I'm such a great person. <laughs> it's, it's not quite like that, is it? Yes, we, we appreciate when we, anatta, you recognize, say, things like, you know, clarity, honesty, truthfulness. They're not personal. I didn't invent them. <laughs> you know, they, these are universal. And one feels a sense of, how oh, wonderful, the quality of respect or truthfulness is arising for me. How oh, lovely to feel that, that quality happening. So it's not self-praise so much as acknowledgement of the good, the beautiful, as it flows through these systems, and you know, including yours. This is to be done, definitely to be done. You know, really important to do, because it's nourishing. And what you enjoy, you amplify. Your mind amplifies it, enriches it. Yeah, so your energies move down those channels, those channels of acknowledging and appreciating the skillful, yeah, the balanced, the steady, the responsible. The, you know, and something we can do good every day. 
we always do, we can, you know. So this is the whole kind of anamodana and punya theme in, in Dhamma practice. You know, there really is like a quality, a qualitative experience that occurs through skillful deeds. Uh, it's not like somewhere up in heaven there's somebody making a list of all the goods you did, <laughs> totting it up. <laughs> but just if you, if you, whenever you do, you know, the kindly, the honest, the straight, the true, the patient, you know, these barami, the patient, the virtuous, and then reflect on it, notice it. I'm someone who people need not fear. You know, they can put their bags down, not going to steal it. Oh, this is good. You know, I generate a, a quality of fear, freedom from fear. I'm not going to violate anybody. And this is then some sense of the beauty of that, the goodness of that. And then linger in it, dwell in it. What you give attention to grows bigger. What you give awareness to grows bigger. You amplify it with your attention. So if you keep attending to your problems, likelihood is they're going to get bigger, more significant. Now it's not that we should ignore our problems, but you want to come to your difficulties from a place where you've got the resources. Otherwise, you, you, do, you know, you're not going to turn the tide. It's always kind of feeling, you know, I can't get this right, and there's something going, you know. And so, you know, it's not it's not an act of the brain. It's an act that you know, we don't approach ourselves from, you know, purely brain orientation, but from a heart orientation. And you want to get the heart to richen, enrich, and then you can receive your body, your mind states from this place of of goodwill. And uh, that's kind of how you turn it, turn the karma. It's very helpful for transmuting karma. So you can cultivate it as a general quality. Notice when you're getting edgy or tetchy or grumpy and what's going on? What's happening? What's, what's bothering me? What's doing it? It looks like I need to, something's taking that away. What is it? You know, and I need to get back to that. Bring up the good. Do the good, bring up the good. Bear it in mind, make much of it. Yeah. There's lots and lots of things around us that will take our good, our good, good will away. There's many, many things that we can see, touch, hear about, read, that just make you feel depressed, mistrustful, cynical, and so on. There's a lot of it around. Demonic energy. Hungry ghosts. And uh, this this is the energy of the devas, brahmas, the quality of measureless, uh, goodwill. Mm. To do with clearing the past when you get yourself into states of regret, which is really 
another form of ill will. Uh, you know, remorse means you really, oh, that was bad. But when you get to this nagging guilt, then it's ill will. Ill will, you know, generated around something in the past. And you can say, yes, I did that wrong. You know, I did take, I did steal, I did verbally abuse, I didn't do what I should have done for my sister, mother, father, friend, whatever. You know, we can always generate these things. And maybe maybe it's right, you know. Because it's very difficult. You can't get through life, you know, perfect. You try and get through your life without hurting somebody, it's not going to happen. <laughs> but so, but then the nagging guilt thing is when we, that becomes personalised, it gets locked. And whatever gets locked, fully established, not cleared, then becomes myself. And then, you know, you start, your mind is starting to operate with this thing in the background. So it has to be cleared. You see why every day we're doing this formula of whatever I've, you know, body, speech, or mind, Buddha, Dhamma, Sangha, you know, may my uh, acknowledgement of thought be accepted. And this is a ritual thing. Uh, it's just reminding us that it is always good to have something of that, that quality, some gesture of that happening, you know, in your life, in your mental cleanliness in your mental hygiene just you know whatever you know and just making that gesture and watch when you do that is anything there anything there that I feel myself defensive about or furtive about or ashamed of okay Notice that, then am I, is that tr- real? Is it true? Or is it just, well, let's notice then what's needed here. Perhaps we can, we can, that's an, event, an action we might be more careful about in the future. As it says in the chant, may acknowledgement of thought be accepted in future, may, I may be more restrained. It means that you know, things burst out in an unskillful way, I'll be more collected, making that resolution about where we get, where we go out in an unskillful way, where we lose it, unskillful way. And then that, and then okay, so that's that, knowledge understood, and then what's needed now is to return to the quality of, of friendliness and goodwill. It's been accepted, it's been received, you know, it was beautiful to make that gesture. If the make gesture is made, you cannot not forgive. Must uh, give yourself back the quality of, of goodwill. Mm. Yeah, and so when you give that back, of course, to anyone you may have hurt or feel you've hurt, they're not bringing them to mind and sharing with them. So there's, a, there's an atmosphere of health. Um, that should is, is the proper atmosphere for the human domain as separate individuals. You know? Now, I mean, it's um, 
where it's a base for jhana or not it liberates the mind from the effects of ill will and the if it's fully developed the quality of metta is said to lead to the sphere of the beautiful that means one abides in a sense of well there it says you know how do you want to interpret that when the sphere of the beautiful is not somewhere up in the sky it's the aramana the general mode the atmosphere you live in has this quality of lightness and freshness and warmth and beautiful to it and someone can abide in that karuna leads to the sphere of um, infinite space means there's no no resistances these are of course of boundlessness boundlessness so you know these are not jhanas uh, technically but they can be um, aramanas moods mental states atmospheres that you can sustain and bear in mind and stay with and clean out these traces of the poisons of hurt and abuse and blame and grudge and so forth clean them out and then you have a a mind state there you can then review that with insight this is this you can contemplate it as you know for what it is okay and that's so sometimes this word jhana I mean people say well you can develop it to the intensity of jhana so jhana technically refers much more to um, breath meditation but the general meaning of the word is absorb so you can absorb into the metta quality and let that suffuse and pervade and certainly, you know, the benefits of metta uh, described as uh, one's face becomes more beautiful, as it shines, a certain shining quality to, to, uh, you know, it doesn't affect the physiognomy, but there's the, there's a kind of radiance of energy that comes through this cultivation. One is not afflicted by bad dreams. Uh, animals like you. Animals are very aware of of nasty people, and generally, people with metta, animals feel comfortable and relaxed around them. Um, so these are some of the benefits of, of metta. If the body, energy and breath have settled, should one proactively introduce a meditation object or wait for an object to present itself? If the body, energy and breath have settled, that is the object. Essentially, the, you know, the breathing and the energy of the body have settled, so that, then you experience that. Uh, yeah, so remember, breath, breathing is, is more than sensations. Sensations tend to subside in a state of calm, but the energy 
become softer but quite luminous. So then that quality is what one sustains awareness of and uses that to repel, say, agitation, uh, quite dullness and so forth. You can use it to repel the hindrances and spread it through the entire perceived or experienced body. Is it important to be grounded all the time? I've assumed that the arupa jhanas are elevated, non-grounded states. The body, as the body is not felt. Well, if you have a problem with arupa jhana, these are, uh, I think this is a little bit theoretical really. So the formless jhanas are, well, sometimes they're not even called jhanas, they're formless um, domains that can be entered from the fourth jhana. But then the the process of jhana, you know, is one where the body kind of dissolves. So the the sensation body gradually dissolves, disappears, the perceptual body remains just as a kind of a location, you might say, sense of here, and the energy body becomes refined and subtle. So, you you know, from an ordinary person's point of view, you could say there's no body, but it depends on what you mean by body. And so with the Arupa jhanas, from that refined, subtle energy state, then one can into these more um, uh, formless spheres. But by that time, the mind is very grounded. It's grounded in mindfulness. So that's, that's rock solid. Energy is considered a, a subtle quality of rupa. It's a subtle rupa. So our rupa, then you've the... Uh, is much more purely mental. But the mind has taken on, used the body energy to get very grounded. In samadhi, the body and the mind merge, in terms of energy anyway. So the mind derives the strength and groundedness of the body, and that makes its mindfulness, its own faculties become very steady, you know. Let's take one last one because I've been talking for a while. Um, so, Tapana. Is that really necessary? <clears throat> could you say more about the jitta? I probably could say a lot more, but I think you'll get tired. <laughs> so, we might leave it to another day. Personality, so here we have Sotapanna stream entry. So this is the first uh, breakthrough to awakening. And its uh, definition of this is that certain 
fundamental fetters have fallen away, personality or self-personality view, attachment to rites and rituals, and doubt or skepsis. So this person then lists these. If the personality view has disappeared, does it mean one has seen through a natar? Does this mean one has realized not-self? To a degree, yes. Um, so the, realize, the stages of awakening are first of all much more on the, to do with the, say, the cognitive uh, sense, the thinking mind. And so the personality view is very much associated with this sense of being, this voice up in the head, you know, living inside here. That, that's, the, that's, the, that's the sense of it. I am this thinking system living inside this this thing here, and everybody else is out there, and this is me. Uh, and then all that has been conditioned into thought, attitudes, uh, which are gener- which naturally come from the world around you, you know, the prejudices, the biases, the uh, cultural conditioning, and all that. That becomes that's one's personality is moulded by all that. And that becomes kind of one suit of clothes that one wears all the time. That's the personality view. And becomes so, so much so that we in fact believe that's what we are. Not, it's not just our clothes, that is who we are. And we defend it, the personality, and we worry about it a lot. So if that is seen through as just the construction that doesn't have to be mean that much, just, it's just a suit of clothes... Um, then some of the tension and the pressure goes out of that. But the tend- the still there's the, the tendency to identify with, so it's much more uh, one feels um, agreeably inclined towards pleasure. So something wants pleasure, doesn't want pain. That's not, a, that's not social conditioning. <laughs> that's much deeper than that. So a sense of, of uh, self-interest but it continues down to subtler levels where it's the sense even of having a location I am here that is still a kind of quality of I'm here rather than there there's a something so these are very subtle but it's only the, the complete realize fulfillment of an atar is all those boundaries and, and uh, uh, factors uh, have released so stream enter has begun this very important process of recognizing things can dissolve and they, they can start to free themselves from their uh, personal conditioning. Rites and rituals refers to sila, sila, sila vata paramasa, sila vata paramasa, sila uh, can be translated as um, uh, custom, you know, very broadly speaking, uh, that which one adopts as a custom, as a way of doing things. Vata, that which one does repeatedly. So a system. So customs and systems is perhaps a better way of in translating this because rites and rituals much too seems to be about lighting incense or something like that. And, clear, and it's much broader than that. You don't get out of rites and rituals by not lighting incense. <laughs> you know, you don't break it that way. It's the 
blind attachment to customs and systems. And our life style is generally operates around customs and systems. We have working days and non-working days, that's a system. We have time to go to work, time to stop, that's a system. We have um, social conventions, you know, when you wear this clothes and that clothes, that's a system. When you wear a formal dress or casual dress, that's a system. Um, social gestures, these are systems. And we live with systems. And systems help to make things, you know, if we, we're playing the same game. Everybody knows, okay, we're in the, we know what we're doing. It's organized. But, this is a, but that's okay. It doesn't mean there shouldn't be any systems and customs. It's just the blind fondling of them. Paramasa means a kind of fondling or infatuation whereby only my system is correct. This is the way it has to be done always. Otherwise I start to feel really nervy. <laughs> I feel threatened if we can't go through this system. You know, I can't start until 8 o'clock or I've got to stop at 6 o'clock or it's a Thursday or, you know, uh, we, uh, we start to get rattled if our customs and systems can't be adhered to constantly, there's no flexibility because of such radical insecurity. Uh, yeah. So it's this, and something is seeks to make behavior automatic. Plug me in, give me the system, great. Then I don't have to be awake. I don't have to be awake anymore. <laughs> I can just cruise, yeah. This is the this is the this is the hook of systems and customs. It gives us a false sense of security because we're doing the right thing. But then what happens if you don't know what to do? <laughs> you know, and then, then this is the problem. Yeah, you know, or things come are chaotic. You know, so we get robotic with this stuff. Therefore, to be able to use a system as a skillful means, appropriate way of, of a, you know, social relationships or organizing things, but recognize it's just that. And there's different ways of doing it. So systems and customs, of course, refers to religious beliefs, religious performances, but also most social systems. And then can, can we flex can we use them skillfully and learn how to see beyond them into into the heart? Um, doubt, doubt in the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha. Yes, but it's not just um, again the essence of what these these words signify. So it's not belief in Buddha but a confidence in the quality of awakening. Confidence there is such a thing as awakening. A confidence that one can have access to awakening. A confidence it's not just an idea, a theory, but there is, you know, that you touch into some of that potential for a little bit of release. So this fetter is, this fetter of doubt is broken when one has some sense of direct personal experience of, of releasing, of waking up, of, of your personality world dropping away and you feel you're okay. You're not 
hey, where did I go? Or, you, you know, your systems and customs or whatever are not there, you feel. So you have some sense, direct sense of the, um, uh, you know, the potential of the citta to be transpersonal and uh, so therefore it's not and beyond convention therefore that's a degree of liberation this is the essence of Buddha of Dhamma, of Sangha you're aware of that potential you have a sense of this is something you can kind of do you know it's not drops out of the sky but you know certain qualities can bring that around you know I don't always get them right but I, I, I there are certain qualities and I know that because I've done it and uh, this isn't just some freak experience that, that only one person has it's sangha it's a universal uh, quality universal it's it's not personal it's not like some esoteric guru has it nobody else has it's not you know it's uh, something that's a human potential and we feel we're entering and we feel gladdened by that that uh, that release so this is the stream entry or the moment of stream entry or the experience of it and that can lapse yeah that is one can lose it not not really notice it it's not you know or you have to be reminded of it because it's uh, although it's important we sometimes the quality of doubt or the personality view takes over again and you've got to keep hey check that out what's going on but at least you begin to know what these fetters are what causes them to rise and what you need to do to you know relax and resolve them that's enough